0: Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. We are back with another episode of Nobody Told Me That. I have Brad James here from Clear. I'm very excited to have him here. Hey, Brad.
1: Hey, Teresa. Thanks for having me on.
0: Very welcome. He is the Director of Partnerships with Clear, but I really just call him my dude, my contact at Clear. So I guess let me just go ahead and disclose. I have worked with Clear on a sponsorship basis in the past, but they're not paying to be on here. They're not giving me any money for this. I just said, Brad, hop on. Let's talk. So there's a disclaimer, Brad, you are all about membership plans, but we're not going to talk all about membership plans only. We're going to talk about just what's going on in the office with benefits and kind of be like an insurance nerdy call, right? Like I'm excited about this. I like nerdy talk.
1: Yeah. I mean, they really go hand in hand with insurance and dental membership plans. I think you've seen it kind of take off during COVID and uh, I have some data that I want to share throughout the conversation too, so...
0: Good, good. My audience members are so used to me talking about studies and numbers and stuff. And if they hear right away, it's going to be full of data, they'll tune in for sure. But there's some that are going to be like, oh, another study, another one that she wants to talk about. When is she going to talk about leadership (laughs) again? And so, but you guys, I do this because I want to bring you like the best information possible. Something that you and I have talked about, you know, whenever we get on a call or whenever we do a webinar together is about the behavior of patients and That really is why membership plans have come about. I think there's a storm here, right? Like insurance companies making the patients pay more, or I guess employers making the patients pay more for their benefits. And then the benefits aren't as solid as they used to be. And then the offices wanting to do something different and not be as beholden, I guess, to contracts as they used to be. So all this perfect storm kind of set the tone for a company like yours. How long have you guys been around?
1: We started market research in late 2016, started to pilot out our product in late 2017, and then we officially launched January 2018. So it's now been three and a half years that we've officially been around.
0: It feels like you've been there for a long time. So I've been going to ADOM for a gazillion years, right? And it always feels like Claire has been there for forever.
1: Yeah, we're huge supporters of ADOM, and I feel like we always have a pretty strong presence there, especially at the conference as well. I believe we send, I don't know, somewhere between four and six people and it's always a big party and they, and they love going. It's the same people that go every, every three years. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we, we love ADOM, support them a lot and they've been great to work with and they've really helped us expand our reach with office managers through in the whole industry. I mean, the key is, yeah, when we're, having a conversation in the sales process and we need someone to sign usually. And typically it's the the dentist, the business owner who signs on the dotted line, but we're not going to move anyone forward unless the office manager is completely bought in. And I would say that they are the person that is the most crucial. Uh, I would say person that needs to execute on the dental practices behalf with the membership plan, because They can get their hands dirty. They're kind of the boots on the ground and they deal with the day-to-day operations front and back office. So ADOM's been great at helping us get the word out there with office managers and they've given us some feedback throughout the whole process. It's just been a wonderful partnership and and we're uh, excited to be attending after Labor Day this year.
0: It's nice that companies are realizing that the managers have some say in a lot of the purchases. You know, Several of the companies that I've helped uh, you know, given sales training too and stuff like that. It's like they almost have a department of people that are designed to deal with the office managers, <laughs> and and it's funny because they they've realized over time that that's really who they're going to end up talking to most of the time. And it makes sense. The doctors are busy.
1: What's interesting is since we're a younger company at three and a half years, we're also learning too that. You need to have different messaging between the front office team or the office manager and for the dentist. The dentist is going to be very revenue-driven, very numbers-driven. And the front office team, for the most part, we see a big reason why all these membership plans are gaining so much traction when it comes to adoption and implementation is because they're patient-centric. Yes, they care about the money, the dollars that are coming through their front door, but a lot of it is also that they build relationships with the pra- between practice and patient. And they want to give the patients some type of alternate dental benefit where you've seen, I mean, hopefully things are, are starting to trend towards normalcy pre-COVID, but you saw throughout the pandemic, a lot of people were going through financial hardships. They lost benefits from their employers. So it was really a a big idea for a lot of these front office teams that have the relationship, the actual personal relationships to want to offer um, something that's better for the patient. And also at the same time, it's, it's a pretty great deal for the practice too.
0: The patients are the ones who have to go back to the HR department though, and complain about <laughs> premiums or complain about claims. I was really excited to hear that you're talking to employers now, you know, just to give a background Office managers or, or any new people listening to the podcast, newer to the industry, you know, the way it works is that the employer is the one that picks the plan. They decide, they work with the broker to decide what the benefits are of the plan. And as you can imagine, most people that are picking the plan don't understand what they're looking at. So they say, Hey, broker, what's popular? Broker signs, you know, slides over this book full of plans that have commissions attached to them. And this is nothing disparaging. This is the way it is, it has commissions attached to it. Most brokers work with a handful of insurance companies that they really like and have really good deals with. And so it's in their best interest to sign the employer to a plan that is going to be easy for the broker to manage and has worked in the past. So as a result, that's why you see so many similar plans that are being sold in one area. That's why you see plan design not changing very much. I mean, there's other reasons for that, but there, that's why you see that. And I apologize for the. Whining dog in the background at the microphone, pick that up. Uh, somebody's hungry. Or when the employer is confronted by an employee who doesn't like their benefits, most of the time they go, Well, I don't, I mean, tell me something different. What, what would you want? And it's ideal at that point for the patient to say, Well, my office has offered to talk to you about this. You know, I'm happy to give you my person's name. Way in the past, I used to tell my patients all the time, If you need me to talk to your HR department to talk about, you know, what plan they're picking, I'm happy to do that. And I did that very often for the local businesses because they didn't know what they were looking at. And as a result, we had great plans because I was like, hey, this is good. And, you know, I know your patient base and just want to let you know there's some people who are going to need this benefit, you know. So, you know, I would make sure that they always had like deep cleaning or implants, you know, on the plan. But that is how plans are decided, people. It's it's usually the employer that is picking it. So if the employer doesn't see a lot of options, then they're not thinking that they're getting shortchanged. They just think, oh, there's not a lot of options. And here's, you know, I'm going to pick the best of the best. What Clear is doing, and I, I think you're the first one to do it amongst the mm-hmm. the membership plans. And I know you're aware, probably others are going to be coming up behind you trying to do it. But but what Clear is doing is going straight to the employer on uh, the dentist's behalf. And I, I think that's really smart because not every manager has the time to say, hey, let me explain dental benefits to you.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because just to give the listener some background information on who we are, just very quick, we're just very research-driven as a company, very data-driven. That's just how our leadership team operates. Before we make any moves on developing a new f- product feature or before releasing any type of new new cycle release when, when we're releasing new features, uh, we always want to do a ton of data and research for months and months to make sure that what we're doing, that there's a true need and what we're doing is warranted. We knew conducting all this research that there's a problem between with the dental practice and with the patients when it comes to insurance. But now that we're starting to look into the employer space, we're seeing that employers are getting the short end of the stick too. So it's just all these different parties are participating in this, I don't want to say antiquated model, but it's something that's been around for a while and people are just accepting it. Now, on the employer side, Teresa, you mentioned employers are sponsoring a lot of these dental benefit plans, and that's completely true. Our our research actually shows that 93% of dental plans come from employers. So only 7% of your patients are going out there and proactively looking for dental plans through Delta or through Cigna, whatever it is. There's also just a huge discrepancy when it comes to what type of employer is offering dental benefits. Now, you know, if the market has essentially set a standard of employees are expecting dental benefits from their employers, that the huge corporations will be offering some type of dental benefit. But on the other side, there's small and medium sized businesses, um, mom and pop shops, startups, all types of companies out there. And we see that a vast majority of them don't offer a dental benefit. I believe the numbers are between six and 50 employees, only six, or excuse me, 60% don't offer a dental benefit. And then if it comes to medium-sized businesses, so somewhere between 51 and 100 employees, they are somewhere around 40%. So that's a pretty huge number if you're just thinking about the total opportunity that's out there. And I don't want to get too um, nerdy with all the numbers that I'm throwing around. But also we've seen with small businesses that do offer a dental benefit, we see a third of them are always reevaluating their dental benefits year after year. So the opportunity is out there. It's ripe. And the problem is why so many of those businesses aren't offer, offering a dental benefit is because it's too expensive per employee. It's, uh, the average is $507.00. Employees a year, a year
0: that's a lot. So, at 570 a year, the pushback that I'm getting in classes is I don't want to charge 295 or 395 for a plan, but they're already paying that. And I hear something that I say in classes all the time the numbers are in, most employees are paying more for their dental benefits than they think because many of the employees are actually having the full cost of the dental benefits charge to the patient. They don't really realize it. That's kind of part of their whole package. The numbers are in that there are more employees paying for their dental benefits than the employer is. And when you talk to a patient about that, you know, you ask them, hey, take a look at your pay stub. How much are you actually paying for dental? You know, parse it out, look at your HR packet. A lot of them do realize they're paying a pretty decent amount. The one other trend too, you probably run into this. So when membership plans started coming out, right, there were what is it like 299 was the average price you would see that in classes and stuff. And then there became, I think about last year, before COVID, 2019, the (laughs) the last great year in 2019, I heard a lot of people in my classes saying we looked at our numbers and we were actually losing money on membership plans. So we raised it. And so I started hearing prices of like 399, 499. I think that's the more competitive pricing when it comes to a membership plan in the office when you say five hundred and seven a year, do you have an average solo practice? And I, I don't know if you have this right on hand, but I mean, what are what are other offices wanting to charge for this? Is there a range?
1: So I don't have the the numbers on what type of office, but I can tell you that I would say that the average range that we do see is probably around that two ninety nine. But I mean, the biggest thing with these practices is they understand with the membership plans that they do want to offer some type of savings to their patients. But a lot of the practices are lowballing what their patients are actually comfortable with because you don't want to bleed the practice dry in terms of offering too affordable where yeah it's successful and you have a ton of people on your membership plan but then it's almost just becoming a discount plan where you're losing money it's not truly profitable for your practice and it's okay to up your price a bit yeah this is not a, a A shameless plug or anything. I'm just letting you know, like something that we do at Clear is we have what we call smart pricing. And that's what we're trying to um, help out our customers with is during the implementation and onboarding process, it's like, all right, let's find a happy medium between affordability for your patients that's going to want to attract them to join and sign up. And then on the other side, let's find something that's profitable because yes, you are a clinician first and foremost and this is a service but you're also operating a business too and it's okay when your patients are willing to pay say 360 a year for their membership plan instead of 299 it's completely fine and don't sell yourself short as a business owner
0: I agree with that and also if there's the option for them to pay monthly that's even better Exactly if you can get the year up front that's fine but honestly you know monthly is fine too I really can't give blanket statements. I don't like to, but I will say 299 at this point for a membership plan. Depending on what's involved if it's a standard what you normally see. I'm I'm not sure that you're actually making money on that. Yeah. And I firmly believe this and I know there's a lot of managers that are so good at what they do and they want to do it themselves. I get it. I get it. I would have probably done the same thing for a while. But I can tell you working with offices and talking to managers, the management of the membership plan is very time consuming if you're new to it don't have a system haven't worked with it before you have to catch people for renewals you have to keep track of the benefits that they've used you have to there's just a lot and if you're out of the office the day that the one patient comes in and you need to hit them up for a renewal or whatever then six months go by you're doing phone tag there's just a lot i've heard a lot of frustration and i think that's why companies like yourself and and just to be fair there's other companies out there too i mean boom clouds out there dental dental hq um and i'm friends with all of them all of you guys are great great guys honestly so there's a lot of help out there and if there's one thing that has happened outsourcing is huge now right are you guys you're riding that wave aren't you
1: uh, yeah i mean first of all what's really really interesting is when we first got our company started in, in 2018, late 2017, I would say probably 10% of the market, maybe even less, were actually offering dental membership plans. Today, we've just seen this huge acceleration and adoption in the dental market. We've been seeing that that number is now up to close, close to 25%. And I know this for a fact because the ADA actually just released some data um, on June 14. And basically what the data was going over was it was asking people about in-house plans. Do they have one? Have they thought about it? And how do they roll it out? Do they use, do they outsource? Do they do it in-house? They just asked a bunch of questions and it showed that 25% of the market is offering dental membership plans. And I really think something that acted as a catalyst there was the pandemic because a lot of people had time to take a step back and reevaluate their business. And I, I think everyone, it was pretty, I want to say ubiquitous, where everyone just wanted to offer something good for their for their patients, something that was a good benefit that was more affordable, because they just knew that a lot of patients were having hardships. So that's where we saw that big spike in membership plan implementations. And as you say, a lot of people do want to do it themselves. And we completely understand that. Something that's a that's a bit difficult to get a grasp on is like how committed or what is the what is the thought process when an office is implementing a membership plan is it kind of in the background just a nice to have you'll offer it to a patient here and there or is it a keystone integral part of the practice where they see that they're improving their cash flow they see that their patients are now becoming more treatment compliant and that they are bringing in more production, which means more revenue for the practice. What's interesting is that same data that the ADA recently released showed that only around 7% of practices have 25% or more of their patient population on their membership plans. So I'm not sure if that's kind of an asterisk because a lot of people have recently implemented these membership plans due to COVID, but Either way, it's it's something where the practices really need to think and see from a numbers perspective, is this something where they just want to cherry pick an offer into some patients or do they want it out there and do they want it to be a foundation of their business?
0: When the pandemic hit, I have this offering where somebody can book a call for me, a consultation call with me and we talk about whatever they want to talk about, strategy, numbers, what should I do, whatever. And through the whole pandemic, all my strategy call sessions were focused on PPOs. Should I leave PPOs? Should I drop PPOs? Should I join PPOs? And through the year, it's been been over a year, I'd say 15% of the calls were, should I add PPOs? Which, you know what? Lots of people are getting out of PPOs. There's an opportunity for you to go in and there are definitely ways offices can be profitable with PPOs. There's, I mean, my audience members know I don't dislike insurance. It's just, it is what it is. And we're businesses, we are, you know, when they talk about practices, they say the same thing. It is what it is. We got to figure out how to work with them, right? The ones who left PPOs that they decided that that's what they wanted to do, the membership plan became their choice. Like None of them wanted to leave without a membership plan. Every single one of them said, I need to have a membership plan or had, you know, decided to do it by the time we ended our call. And, you know, I always give them the options. Here's who you want to talk to. And, but what happened was I had to let them know that the offset of being a PPO provider is that you give up your fees Mm -hmm. for patients. And then the other side of the contract that is supposed to be fulfilled is you're supposed to get new patients. So you're supposed to be getting new patients. What a lot of offices were realizing is that their new patient flow wasn't enough to justify being part of it. and then what they did, some of them did was take a look at the new pa- the patients that were part of certain insurance companies and said they suck the patients, not the companies, they suck. We want to get rid of this whole you know plan and this company or whatever. And so you know they decided to get out out of network. But that is something that I think the membership plans, when people say to me, you know it's part of overheads outsourcing. I really consider you guys marketing. I think you guys do too, right? So is that where you classify yourself? To me, you're marketing.
1: It's really interesting because we're we kind of identify more as a tech company.
2: Mm-hmm. Now there
1: are like some of the names that you mentioned earlier, there are other companies out there that probably do identify a bit more towards the marketing piece. And I'm not saying we we don't identify with that, but I would say we're we're a bit more of a of a software and a service to really just improve processes. And and as you can see with the employee care solution that we have coming out in, in uh, early August, we're looking to really just make a big, a next step. Right now is what we call it consumer care, employee care is the next step, and then we'll see how it, um, how it continues to grow.
0: Definitely want to dig into that. I, I just know dollars that are spent on marketing, typically, yeah. what is it like four to 5% normally? I mean, a CPA, conservative middle of the road CPA is going to say that some of the more aggressive companies will recommend up to 8% of your budget is gone to marketing. So what I like to say to classes is your PPO fee that you're writing off is actually a marketing expense. And a lot of people don't think about it that way, right? I love that. So with membership plans, I I feel like that is a marketing expense that is a better trade-off than 40% of your fees, Mm. definitely. And it depends. Some offices you know, are better off being PPO offices. There's a lot of lot behind that statement. But I do think that if you're going to get off PPOs or reduce your participation, any membership plan is a good way to have something. Otherwise you're just saying, hey, we're not in your network anymore and you know, you should you should just come back to us and because we're good and we like you. You know, it's like going to your boss with a problem. You don't go to them with a problem without offering a solution. And you're able to offer a solution. Let's go back to that employer thing because that I knew we were going to do this, Brad. We kind of just went all over the place. (laughs) The employer piece. So what happens there? You guys identify what employers like? Tell me what goes on there. Uh, If you're able to talk about it, because I know you're doing a rollout and this is going to come up before the rollout.
1: There are certain things that I can definitely talk about right now that are just, they're out there and, and anyone can kind of attain that knowledge. But what we're looking to do, to start is this is the first iteration of employee care. So it's not going to have all the bells and whistles, but we are going to be making their lives a lot easier. So we're going to be providing like the software experience for the employers and for the employees. For the practice, they'll be able to easily go on their platform and create a unique employer dental membership plan for local uh, businesses. But on the employer side, we're also going to make sure that it's easy for them to, say, toggle with the contribution level that they want to um, contribute for each employee, because it's going to be completely up to the employer on how much they want to um, to contribute for each employee. So they can do as little as they can actually do zero dollars if they just want to hook up their employees with a, with a dental practice. They can offer $50 for employee for the year or we've seen some are even comfortable with up to $500. That portion of it will be completely up to the employer and how much they wanna contribute. And then on the other side of it, when it comes to the uh, marketing portion, which is a huge piece of it, within this first release that we have, we're gonna be providing the offices with marketing materials that we've created where they can hand it to employers, they can give them some collateral to give to their employees to educate them, and then they'll have the software experience to where they want to sign up or whatever, or maybe they can go to the office. So I'm not sure what's to come with the next releases. I can assure you that we will be refining and tweaking it and making it a better user experience. And I would assume that we're going to look to take more and more off the dental practices plate as we continue to uh, release more versions of employee care. So like I said, it's, it's just the first release and it won't be perfect, but it'll definitely be exciting. And we're piloting it out with some of our customers and we're seeing some success.
0: Does it make sense to go into an area with lots of clear providers? Because I would imagine you'd want to give the employer some choice.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's a, that's a definitely a product question. Uh, so that's more so for our, our CTO or CEO who are kind of in, in charge of the vision and, and the rollout and execution of employee care. But I'm sure there's going to be some portion at some point where maybe there might be some type of network, give or take, Um, and I'm sure it would be completely up to the dental practice if they would want to opt into that, but I can't really speak to that accurately.
2: Oh,
0: good. I get to corner the people at the clear booth at ADOM and ask them all these questions. So no, I'm good at bombarding with questions. You know that. So It is really interesting that finally, though, that a company is going to the employers because that really is. I mean, if you really just trace the roots of all the insurance issues we have, it's all back to the employer. So people, I don't know if you know this, but the employer can decide whether or not to pay assignment of benefits. So if you're out of network and that specific employer says, yes, pay any provider, whether or not they're in or out of network. Even if you're a Delta provider, that's at the employer contract levels. They have the ability to do that. So if you're out of network and you're not getting paid, you know, you could reach out to the HR department and say, hey, next time you're up for renewal, or maybe you can change it now, why don't you grant assignment of benefits to all dentists? And I know that is one of the big handcuffs that we I dealt with, actually. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put you in the royal we here. One of the pushbacks I had on all of my strategy calls was, I'm afraid of the fact that they're going to send checks to the patient, and then I have to spend all this extra time chasing it down. So that is a consideration, but having this membership plan in place is genius. Oh, actually, before I forget, the ADA report, is that available publicly? I'd like to link to that, or if you have a summary.
1: I believe it's public.
0: Okay, I'll put it in the show notes, and if I forget to add something into the show notes, I hear about it, so I'll make sure to add that into the show notes. So let's talk a little bit about consumers. You said something interesting in our pregame talk, and I love talking about consumer behavior because I really think our industry is finally changing to acknowledge this. You said something about when they use a membership plan, they start to change their behavior. Can you go into that a little bit more? What what behavior are they changing?
1: When we, and this is like literally the fundamental research that just built the scaffolding for Clear and really just was that aha moment where we were able to identify a real problem in the industry. We saw one of the problems is that uninsured patients on paper, they're awesome. They pay 100% out of pocket. They're supposed to be your most profitable patients. There's nothing that you're losing a dollar amount on with those fee-for-service patients. But that's just if you're looking at it hypothetically. But if you're really looking at how those uninsured patients behave, and if you really want to be honest with with how they are acting as a patient, we're seeing that the averages, they come in once every two years, as opposed to their insured counterparts, where, of course, they can't come in for a half visit. But we see that the average insured patient comes in 1.5 times a year, so close to the recommended two times a year.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And the uninsured patients are just far from it. And not only do they come in less frequently, but they accept far less treatment too. They actually decline 50 to 75% more treatment than their insured counterparts. So yes, on paper, very profitable, but the reality is just like any problem with selling a single product is you don't know if they're gonna be coming through the door or not. You really don't. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and of course, every practice is probably just thinking off the top of their heads of those uninsured patients that do come in but it is a small portion. The, the vast majority of them are either dormant or they come in when they have a problem. They're more reactive instead of proactive as patients, which is really just a preventive care problem throughout all of healthcare. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was the problem. And then what we're seeing is as soon as the uninsured patients begin to join the membership plans, they understand they're paying out of pocket on a subscription basis, either for one annual fee or on a monthly fee for their benefits that they get from the membership plan. So they know, okay, I'm paying out of pocket, this is a subscription, I'm getting pinged on my credit card or debit card for this, I need to go take advantage of this. So we see that membership plan patients now visit more frequently, dentistry is top of mind for them in their oral health, and they start to accept more treatment, uh, 50 to 75% more, because. We're bringing transparency with the membership plan when it comes to pricing. And that is ultimately the biggest cloud over these, the uninsured patient psychology, where they aren't coming in because they don't have any tooth pain. There's nothing they perceive wrong with their mouth, and they don't know how much it's going to cost them. They actually all overestimate how much dental care will cost them, even just for cleanings or just for a filling.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And you can say that that's all, that all stems from PPOs ultimately, but just back to the behavior, when they do join the membership plan, they become more profitable. Uh, We're actually seeing that they produce twice as much as their other uninsured counterparts that don't join the membership plan. Wow. If we're just taking a step back and we're saying, all right, there's a way for me to double profitability. There's a way for that patient to be loyal to my practice. And I'm also giving that patient peace of mind with a dental benefit that they otherwise probably don't have access to. It really seems like a no-brainer. And that is what we're seeing. And that's what we're trying to educate the market on. And, and we're even trying to educate some of our customers on it too. And we've been seeing better and better adoption as we've been continuing to grow as a company. And, and when we're just able to share the raw data with them and really show them the numbers, it's a light bulb goes off and all the and a lot of these doctors and office managers heads where they see that this is potentially more of a foundational piece as opposed to a nice to have.
0: Mm -hmm. And hopefully it becomes a cornerstone really of a lot of offices offerings, you know, in some form. Here's one thing that I have the offices run is I have them run a report of limited evaluations, Mm -hmm. the D0140, because to your point, If somebody comes in and they're uninsured, typically they are coming in for the emergency evaluation. And if they proceed, it is expensive. And so even we know root canals can be very expensive, you know, unless you've got that nice membership plan discount. However, what ends up happening is those patients stick in our minds. We forget about the ones that came in for the 140, the 220, they got the evaluation, they got the x-ray, and then we didn't see them again until it became the root canal, until it became the extraction. So, go back and run your 140s for the last 12 month period and see how many of those people were uninsured. And you can, a lot of times, your software can filter this who had insurance and who didn't, and who was able to come back in. It's a good reactivation campaign, too. So, if they came in for some pain and you haven't called them, then we need to get on it. But it is curious to see how many people who don't have insurance, they don't have an appointment scheduled. And they just kind of fell off the map and we were too busy to follow up on it, which is a very normal thing today, unfortunately. Yeah, track that stuff. Track who came in, got an estimate and then said, oh, forget it, I'm out. Did we even talk to them about payment plans? Did we talk to them about care credit? Did we talk to them about the membership plan? What did we talk to them about? What I have found is the offices that I tasked to go back and run this report, they don't have a lot of the information.
2: Yeah.
0: There's a blank. They're like, I don't remember it the clinical notes are there, but the financial notes are not there. And it happened so long ago and this person was maybe not memorable. There's really no memory of what happened with that patient. And that's lost opportunity. You can see them go, oh, shoot, I should have followed up on this and not trying to make you feel guilty. But honestly, sometimes we just need somebody to shine a light on opportunities like that
1: it's funny. I would love to hear your thoughts on just like the new patient versus retaining patients, because I just feel like, I mean, if you're, if you're just looking at the economy in general and all these businesses, it feels like every single business is now offering some type of subscription or loyalty program because they know that these loyal consumers are spending twice as much. Right. I feel like a lot of these dental practices it's, it's an average. It's not all of them. But I feel like a lot of them get really hung up on new patients all the time. And yes, you do need new bodies coming into the office. And on the other end of it, I, I just feel like a lot of these practices don't really focus on the attrition or I hate the phrase low hanging fruit, but the people that are already that are already familiar with your office and probably still identify with that office as their dentist. They might not just have been there in in a few years. Right. I would just love to hear your thoughts on that dynamic too, because I do think it's interesting.
0: Oh, grab a cup of coffee, because I got a lot of thoughts on this, Brad. (laughs) You can sit back, relax a little bit, scratch your dog, whatever. Here's what I think about new patients. I think we have a lot of focus on new patients. That is nice, and it's nice to compare how many new patients you had and if you're an ortho ped's practice and you have fifty to hundred new patients, yeah, you're rocking it. That's great. Kids are going to come back because the moms are in charge of that, and moms care, dads care about the oral health of the kid. So let's forget about the ortho and ped's. They're totally different market.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, and that reminds me, I'd like to talk to you about how specialists use membership plans. Don't let me forget. See, I'm no, I'm all over the place. <laughs> but regular offices, general dental offices, we are so numbers driven with new patients and. There's a couple things around that in and of itself. First of all, the time that they spend, if they're really slamming through new patients, the time that they spend with those new patients, to me, looking at your schedule is just not nearly enough. A lot of offices bring in new patients through hygiene, which I'm not a fan of that at all. I'm a big fan of bringing in the new patient through the doctor, and then they have to diagnose, whether it's scaling root planning or perio or regular preventive care, whatever. I think we do that backwards. I understand why though, because of the time and all of that. So that, that's a whole different podcast. I could probably have a couple different consultants I know that have different thoughts on it. Going back to the emphasis on the new patient, I don't think a lot of offices have in place the systems to follow up with them and to get them scheduled. It's almost like let's feed the hygiene machine and then they'll get some work done But there's not enough time in that patient experience to really talk about the work that needs to be done or to convince them that it needs to be done. So there's a lot of conversation about we need to educate our patients. We need to let them know how important their oral health care is. But if you really look at the amount of time that you're scheduling with these patients, how the heck are you doing that? Mm -hmm. We're going to ask the hygienist to do that while the patient's trapped, can't talk. So they're going to educate them on what needs to be done. I talk to a lot of hygienists and that's not what they're doing. You know, either Either they're born to do that or they're not. They're not born to do it. It's not getting done. I'm sorry to say they're they're walking out thinking they got a cleaning and that's all they need. I think the real sweet spot for practices when they get their systems together and they have a really well oiled machine and they have to do this if they go out of network is they have to pay attention to the treatment plan reports. Anybody who came in for a consultation and they have to be really good at following up with the patients who leave because. You know, they perceive that it's not worth it to be in network with them anymore. The reactivation piece, you hit on it, it's huge. I have this plan where I have them, you know, reach out at different intervals after they leave the practice or they say they're gonna leave the practice and, you know, get them back in. Most offices will be able to get those patients back for a a lot of reasons. You know, they miss them or patient changes insurance and is able to come back or decides, you know, this is not my dental home wherever they went. Now, the attrition piece, we don't talk about. And I think the reason we don't talk about it is because nobody knows how to measure that really. So let's measure it. Let's spitball it. There are patients who have not come back into your office in so long. And if you ask a doctor, how long is a patient a patient? When do you consider them to be an inactive patient? Every doctor out there is going to be like, what are you talking about? They're always my patient, right? Like a patient hasn't been in in five years. Oh, they're still my patient. They're still on the books, Mm -hmm. whatever. Meanwhile, patients like living in Fiji or something like that, like you're never going to see that patient again. If you ask an office manager or somebody who's been doing this a while, usually the number that when people raise their hands in classes or I ask, you know, how long is it until you inactivate a patient? Usually 18 to 24 months is the common answer. If they don't come in and they don't respond, they're either checked out, don't care, or they're going somewhere else. And that's extra work that you have to do. But we need to do it, and that's the problem is we don't do it. It hits that 18 to 24 months. I'm going to bet that in most offices, that 12month period, let's just say the second year, no one's reached out to them. They may have received a newsletter. They may have received a postcard, whatever, but no one has actually said, "Hey, we're thinking of you. Doctor was looking at your chart. Last time you were in, was this, this, and this, and we'd love to see you." Katie was talking about you the other day. We don't do that. And why don't we do it? Because we just don't have time. So the patients who leave, they're not going to tell you. People don't like conflict. So why would they call you to say, hey, later? They're not going to do that. They're just going to silently leave. And you're going to wonder what the heck happened to them. You'll be sitting around eating pizza during lunch. And you'll go, hey, whatever happened to that family? Oh, yeah, we haven't seen them. And then you call the number and it's disconnected. And you're like, what happened? That's the thing. We don't know how many of our patients have left us because First of all, who wants to look for that, right? Like who wants to know who's left us? The other thing too, is that when patients do decide to leave or they ask for their chart and they move, right? Are we doing any kind of exit interview? And when I say interview, I don't mean sit them down. Yeah. I would love for an office manager or a doctor to take this bull by the horns and say, I realize you're going to another office. I just want to ask you, is there anything that we could we could do differently? What did you like about our practice? What did you not like about our practice? I would love to improve the patient experience. There's that honesty that comes through. And if you ask them and the patient suspects that you really want to know, you're going to find out so much about your practice. Mm-hmm. I've run some focus groups with offices where they actually invite in former patients of theirs that haven't been in in a while. We, we would meet and have like a dinner We would meet at Panera and have like coffee, you know, and and not everybody's going to show up. You get like maybe six or seven patients that maybe show up and they will tell you everything that is wrong with your practice. And it's hard to hear, but you up your game because you don't think about it. You don't think about the fact that when they walk in, nobody says hi, they just kind of nod their head. What? We're supposed to say hi. Well, guess what? Nobody's saying hi. What about the fact that when you answer the phone, somebody says, Dr. Ford's office, can you hold without even asking, you know? Or what about the fact that the hygienist never looks you in the eye or the assistant is never she doesn't stay in the room or, you know, we ask for this and she never brings it and and the bills are always wrong. That's the big thing that always came up in these focus groups. The billing is always just terrible. Mm-hmm. These are hard things for doctors and owners to hear. Very hard. Some of the calls after these focus groups were some of the hardest calls these people have had to be on with me because we had to really tackle what the heck is wrong with your practice, yes. right? Yeah. So the attrition piece, I know I'm getting long-winded here. I'll wrap this up. But the attrition piece, we don't pay enough attention to. Patients leave our practice all the time. They're not going to tell you about it. If you really want to up your game, you're going to find out why. You have to go and ask for that information. They're not going to volunteer it. The new patient is fun because it's easy to measure. There's the excitement. There's the excitement when they schedule, you're all excited. Ooh, I got them to agree to treatment. And what about the, the dude that won't return your calls or texts or anything? And you know that he's got this tooth that's about to explode and it's coming up on holiday weekend. We need to get this guy in. Yeah, There's just a lot of things there. And I know that people are short staff. So if I'm making you feel guilty, people, because you're not doing this stuff, it's okay. Just pick a day and think about it. But there's a lot. I told you I was going to rant.
1: <laughs> I loved what you said because they are running a business and a lot of businesses need to run on value. Like what are you trying to bring to these patients? Is it is it a high end dentistry? Is it more of a drill and fill where it's volume? If you probably identify with wanting to deliver a great patient experience, I loved your thought processes on needing to confront the negatives of your of your practice because the bottom line is no one likes having their baby called ugly, but You're not gonna improve as a business owner and as a clinician if you don't know where your patients are looking poorly on your practice or looking down on your practice. So I think it's a great call and and you need to constantly be pivoting as a professional to be able to deliver great patient experience.
0: Well, and I think doctors, a lot of times they don't realize that it's honestly, most of the time it's not them. 99% of the time it's not them. The dental care is not what they're really judging you on because they don't know how to judge you, right? They're not dentists. So if you say this needs to be done or whatever, at face value, they're going to trust you unless someone says, hey, dentists are ripping you off like the New York Times does a lot. Here's the other piece. (laughs) I had to get that in there. In the Atlantic, you're on my list too. (laughs) So the other piece of that is they can go by emotion and the emotion that provokes the most insider fury is getting a bad bill or being disrespected and being rude. And that's honestly where I have to say at admin, admin screws up ratings a lot, reviews and the patient experience. And I hate it. I'm an admin person, but we got to look in the mirror. We're the reason a lot of times, most of the time that patients leave. It's a tough job. It's a tough job. And it's also, I mean, look at it from your point of view, Brad. We're the reason a lot of times that your stuff doesn't work. When you get a call from a dentist, it's like, this doesn't work. I got to cancel my contract. Isn't it often that the implementation was
1: just awful? When someone has signed the agreement, they're called like verified in process where they haven't gone through onboarding yet. And then once they're done onboarding, they're officially a customer. Yeah, of course. Any, any type of business that has that onboarding phase, they always see some type of drop off. Ours is fairly low, but yeah, it, it can be the office gets really busy. Or they're understaffed, like you mentioned earlier, and it's just not a priority. Or maybe someone in the front office team does not believe in the membership plan idea. Yes, I I would agree. I mean, we need full buy-in from that front office team, and that can be uh, a dead end for us if they don't.
0: Has it been an issue lately? The the turnover and the the short staffing. I mean, all the companies that I'm talking to, they're just so frustrated because they get in good with an office, they train somebody, and then. Muffy's out. She's gone. She's she's started her own craft business or, you know, going into something else. And now they got to deal with somebody totally different. So how frustrating is it for a company? Are you guys seeing that?
1: I would say beginning of 2021, when practices were just really getting getting into the flow of having their doors back open, starting to see patients and oh, the vaccines coming into play we really saw slowed down our sales process. And it also slowed slowed down some some leads too, but it is what it is. Now we're starting to see it come back to normal uh, where a lot of these practices are, are, we're starting to see a lot more interest with Clear and people are starting to move through the funnel quicker. But I think everyone had difficulties at some point and I really do feel for the front office teams. They're just completely understaffed and they're now overworked. Now patients like you hear that during COVID, it was dead. And right now it's almost like the peak of the stock market. They're busier than ever. Revenue is not a problem. They're doing a great job. They're firing on all cylinders. But the biggest problem is they don't have enough hands.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Services are coming back huge. I mean, everybody was buying like goods, right? Like, like everybody was doing home improvement. Everybody was buying, you know, stuff for their house, sheets, towels, all that kind of stuff. And now services are on the the rise. And that's good. That's us. Services are on the rise. But just like restaurants, they can't find waiters. And I'm trying to get my dog's teeth clean. They have moved my appointment twice now. I couldn't get an earlier appointment because they don't have enough vet techs to assist during the procedure. Yeah. But the dog's breath is kicking. We need to get this going. <laughs> like You need to call me. Like, hello. That is a real issue for, I think, the admin team nowadays. It's really, really sad. I have this newsletter. That's not sad, but I have this newsletter. <laughs> the sad part is that last two times that I've sent it out, just went out actually this morning, last two times I've sent it out, when I get the unsubscribes, I would say most of them come with a little note that say, I left dentistry. Oh, no. I'll miss you. I'll miss your classes, whatever. I left dentistry. I'm out. I retired. And you know I'm back and forth with these girls because I've known them for so long. And we lost a lot of good people. And then I also think we lost a lot of good managers that just said, this is too much. It's changed too much. And one girl, I was on the phone with her and she said insurance, she's an insurance coordinator was, she said, it's changed too much. I can't keep track of it. I'm finding myself making more mistakes than ever because the plans in her area, she's in a very busy area. The plan design just kept changing and she just didn't think that she was able to keep on top of it. It's tough. It's tough.
1: Are you able to like quantify, like give a number of how many people you think potentially left? I'm just curious to hear that.
0: It's hard to to quantify that national level, but I know personally, I mean, just counting up the unsubscribes due to that, I would say about 45 people I know left. I think you have to understand that I've known these people a long time, so they're going to actually let me know, right? So again, there's that attrition, the silent attrition, no one's tracking. I don't know how many of these people just are never going to answer that email again because it's no longer active, you know, Muffy at Dr. Ford's office. Just, that's going to go into the ether now because Muffy's not there anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how many people left, but I'll tell you, we're not attracting like we could. Our benefit structure, I've been saying this for a while, and dentists aren't like rolling in it, but our benefit structure is not enough to attract people coming out and looking into the marketplace. If we don't offer benefits like retirement and all of that, let's be honest, it's a hard job. If you're an assistant, you're grinding. It's a tough job. I couldn't cut it oh, bless you. My dog is sneezing. I couldn't cut it as an assistant. I was a terrible assistant. You know, thank God they moved me up front. So I don't know what the answer is. You know, on on my other podcast with Kevin Henry, Chew on this, we talk about employment trends a lot. I just don't see that we're going to get this big influx of talent into dentistry unless there's some sort of public campaign or we get a better reputation for paying hygienists, yes, you're going to attract hygienists because every other week, USA Today is saying they are paid so high and they have these cushy schedules and they, you know, whatever. That's always in the news, but you don't see that with dental assistants and dental managers. You know, we're not like, hey, come to our side. We're like, oh man, it's really tough. That's how we talk. Oh man, it's tough. Really? You want to be a manager? Really? You want to be an assistant? Oh, you should be a hygienist. For the regular practice, the regular solo practice that I grew up in, it's tough to compete.
1: Our customer success team hears all the time, and even during the sales process, if if anyone needs a reschedule or anything, or if they're just they just have too much on their plate, we just I feel like it's been several months. I mean, it's been throughout the whole pandemic, basically that it's just we're understaffed, overworked. We're gonna have to shelf this for a bit until we're back on our feet.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know when that gets better. I'll tell you, my outsourcing friends that have the billing, the eligibility, the insurance claims cleanup, they are booming, 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 booming. I mean, these people are going to be tripling the size of their businesses staff-wise because the managers who don't want to work in the office anymore are now going to work virtually for these companies. Other than that, the demand is really huge. I think a lot of offices, because they don't have the staff, are fine with outsourcing claims management, the insurance management piece of it. I mean, it's good for you guys as far as the membership plan piece, but your onboarding, you're right, it's going to affect your onboarding. Boy, I just brought you down, didn't I? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm
1: just thinking about what's to come. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh,
0: Brad's like, I'm out. I'm going to a different industry now. <laughs> it is a great industry. I love dentistry. I love it, love it, love it so much. But I do think we're on the path, and this is not even membership plan related. I do think we're on the path of being rolled into a, a larger healthcare market. Not anytime soon. I think it's coming faster than I would have said three years ago. I know that our billing has to change the way we look at revenue has to change. There's a lot of offices during the pandemic that realized that they weren't collecting what they thought they would, and it's great to have money owed to you until you need it and then you yeah. don't have it so you know during the pandemic, people were like where's my where's my cash flow? Well, you know Mrs. Jones owes you ten thousand dollars and she's paying fifty bucks a month on it. You know the other piece of that that relates to membership plans and insurances you're really holding the bill for your floating money waiting for the insurance companies to pay you you know waiting for payment plans i mean at least care credit pays you pretty quickly but you're waiting days to get paid for some of these claims and so you're floating money out there i'd rather have a patient come in that's loyal like you've been saying and is going to put down the credit card and get it paid or you know pay online my favorite is texting them something and seeing them pay right away that's pretty awesome yeah So you guys, I know you have the portal because you have to accept payment and all of that, but do you guys go into patient payments or anything like that? Is that a direction?
1: So a lot of our practices, will give them versatility to sign up on their website so the patients can just visit the website and sign up. But um, we are getting ready to release in early August a, a text feature as well. We should make everything much easier for those people that have outstanding claims or outstanding bills with their patients.
0: I'm telling you, text to pay is perfect for somebody like me who doesn't, I mean, if I get something, I'll verify the balance and then boom, it's done. I want to get it off my plate and I'll tell you my vet, my vet, I have such issues with my vet right now. They're great, but you know, I take the dog in and they still don't let me come in the office, right? Uh, They have to wait outside. So they call me, go over the results of the visit and everything. And then I'm going to text you the link to pay. And then when I get that, we'll let you know when Odie's ready. Okay. Oh, so you're holding my dog until I pay the bill. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the the underlying tone, but guess what? I want to see my dog, so I'm going to pay the bill. So, yeah. And you kind of expect it anyways. Actually, there's a consumer behavior there. I know every time I go to my vet, it's going to be like $200 at least, you know, whatever. I mean, we just walk in the door, it's $200. So I kind of expect that. I guess with membership plans, they know that they have this money that they're paying and they expect value from it. So that, to your point, they're going to want to use their benefits. They're going to want to get their money's worth. And I think that's a big consumer behavior we have to pay attention to. Accountability, transparency. You mentioned it, the transparency piece. I think that's huge.
1: That's like the biggest deterrent why they're not coming in. I personally thought when we were going through the, the case studies and focus groups where we were actually asking patients I thought for sure it was going to be that there was just fear of dentistry. They were afraid of the drill or, or the needle, whatever. And one, one two, basically 70% and 69% of the patients and the respondents said that A, the number one reason is price, and B, the number two reason is they feel like they're an outlier, not having any, any uh, insurance.
0: Oh, interesting. So they don't want to feel like they're the oddball out when they walk in.
1: Exactly. And I think that there's just a lot of, I mean, I guess a lot of it just stems from like the convolution of from these insurance companies. It's like there's no pricing transparency. They think a lot of people have dental insurance when we see that a large portion of Americans don't. It's just there's a lot of confusion. And as long as you can bring that pricing transparency to them, you'll see that the patients are appreciative and you'll see that their behavior changes.
0: We're always behind medical, but right now medical is, the industry is dealing with the no surprise billing rules that's coming down. Mm -hmm. During the last administration, it was put through, and now it looks like it's finally going to wind its way through and go finally into law. As patients hold medical offices to a certain level because of this, they're going to want pricing transparency. They're going to start looking at us and wondering why we don't have pricing transparency. And it's already here, but when it's mandated on the medical side and we don't have our act together, it's going to be some tough conversations.
1: I completely agree because it's almost like if you go into a grocery store or any retail store and you want to buy something, but there's no price tag, it's always the first thing you check out. Right. Um, Unless you're just going out and and you just want to act like a baller and just buy everything. Right. But
0: Let's spring for this head of lettuce. This (laughs) looks like a good head of lettuce. (laughs) No
1: budget today. But honestly, it's like prior to me, work, to when I started working at Clear, I I didn't have any dental experience. And I can just tell you as a patient, my dad's an orthodontist and we had a good relationship with one doctor and he's fee for service. I didn't understand how it all worked. And basically he was no longer in network with my insurance company at the time. Never told me that, that whole business. So all of a sudden I started working at Clear and I'm just like, this guy isn't telling me anything and I'm just paying X amount of dollars out of pocket. It's like, come on, man. Just like, tell me. So now I don't go to him anymore. I, I go to another dentist. <laughs>
0: yeah, that guy's probably like, Oh man, Brad woke up. He realized the guy he's on to us. <laughs> he,
1: he might be listening to this later. And he's like, Oh no, they didn't mention me by name.
0: Well, there's that silent attrition, but see, they should have followed up. <laughs>
1: But seriously, it's like some of my some of my family members still go there, but I'm like, I'm not gonna go there and do that. He didn't show me any type of value. Yes, I've known the hygienist my whole life, but like if you're gonna if you're gonna behave that way as as I'm supposed to be a, a patient that you care about in your practice, you should be transparent and you should have these conversations with me. And otherwise, if he was a bit more straightforward, i I might still be be a patient of his. so.
0: Well, people take take a note from that because when was the last time you really looked at the patient experience from your patient's point of view? You know, what does your waiting room look like when they walk in? What does your website look like when they go to check you out? And how easy is it to make an appointment? How explanatory are your treatment plans? How accurate are your treatment plan estimations? That's the big piece. And insurance companies, you know, they tell you what they expect it to cost and We know it's different. It's usually different for some clause or whatever. And the patients aren't going, oh, well, yeah, I have to pay more because of the missing tooth clause. That makes a lot of sense. They Mm -hmm. don't know. They're like, what missing tooth clause? What the heck? Why didn't you tell me, Teresa? And I've had that conversation a lot. Why didn't you tell me, Teresa? And you have that a couple of times before you realize, I'm not doing this again. And then you start double checking everything and you learn about all this stuff. And that's where I am today because I got tired of saying to patients, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I think that's why insurance coordinators are so driven to be nerdy is because we know that the confidence comes from knowing all these little bitty crazy clauses that we all have to know. So it has been a heck of a ride as an insurance trainer. And it's just honestly, it's getting harder, Brad. So I'm glad that you guys have some sort of solution uh, to offer out there.
1: Yeah, and I just wanted to, to bring up one point that you brought up earlier that I think pertains to this is that you said people are afraid of confrontation and they avoid confrontation. In these situations, it's the easy thing to do not to have that uncomfortable conversation with your patients. But I mean, iron sharpens iron. And I really don't think that all these conversations are going to be that difficult. I think there's going to be a lot of appreciation if you have these conversations that are probably a bit a bit tougher to get started, but once you start realizing they're just a person and they just wanna know what's going on, you need to just have this clarity with with the patients. And I I think as these front office people that might be afraid to get those conversations started, as they start doing it, they'll become better at it and they will realize that it's not as big of a deal as they might think it is.
0: I completely agree. I think a lot of times too, they tend to be so self-conscious, they take it personally. They think the patient's attacking them. The patient doesn't care about you. The patient's like, why is this policy in place? It's not you. Yeah. So you get really nervous and thinking that you're getting attacked. And that's not a good feeling, but honestly, that's usually not the case. They're they're concerned with why the heck is this policy in place, not you. Yeah. <laughs> the uncomfortable conversations, as part and parcel of being a business owner and being a manager. And my seasoned managers, I like to say, remember the first time you had a disciplinary conversation with an employee and they started crying and you were like, oh my God. And you started crying and you were like driving home all freaked out because you made someone cry. Fast forward 20, 30 years later, you have that same conversation. You're like, oh, she cried. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's, it. oh, she cried. Oh, I better check on her tomorrow. It is practice. It is confidence. I'm just grateful that there's tools out there that can help. So if you're going to be at ADOM, you got to check out the Clear booth. If you're going to be anywhere, you guys are everywhere, actually. You guys have got some real good presence at shows. So stop by and see them. And if Brad's there, give him, give him a hard time, just, you know, <laughs> like I do, and just let him know you heard and, and you enjoyed the conversation. Brad, I want to thank you very much. How do they find Clear? How do they find you if they have any further questions?
1: You can always visit our website. It's just clear, which is K-L-E-E-R.com. If you do just want to have a conversation or uh, if you just want to learn more or maybe you just have general questions, my email is just brad at clear It's that easy. And uh, I'll get back to you ASAP.
0: And he is really good with email, so he'll return your call. And if you can't answer, you are always good about escalating it to the person that can answer. It. I hope that you guys check out the company and I hope that you guys go to ADOM because I want to see all at ADOM. Hopefully, there will be some sort of strategy conversation that you have as a result of this call. I guess any parting words, Brad?
1: I just really, really enjoyed this conversation. And thanks for having me on, Teresa. It's always a pleasure speaking with you.
0: You're very welcome. I always love talking shop like this, like talking, you know, zoom out and see consumer behavior and stuff. So anytime we can do this, I appreciate it. And again, dear listeners, you all know, I appreciate you so very much. Thank you for spending your time with me. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.